I'm so glad to be here with you guys. My name is Chris. I am the lead pastor and planter of Hope City Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. That's the capital of North Dakota. I didn't know that like five years ago, but I do now because I live there. Uh, I am so grateful to be here. I love this church. God used the ministry of this church to lead me to Jesus. I became a Christian through the ministry of Longview Point. God used this church to call me to ministry. I met my wife in this church and actually got married in this room almost 14 years ago, which is crazy to say numbers like that now. But. And God gave me a heart and a passion to reach people with the gospel through the ministry of this church. So when I say I love Longview Point, I mean it. This church has been a huge part of my story that God has used to make me the man, the pastor that I am today. So I'm grateful for you. I love you. I love to watch what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do through you. Uh, I want to say greetings to you from Hope City. Um, my wife sent me some pictures a minute ago. Uh, our service starts at 1030. And so anytime I'm gone, which is very seldom, it's always a little nerve wracking. And man, they look like they're doing so good without me. And that's a good thing for a pastor. Like it is awesome to see like it's a packed house and people are just worshiping Jesus. Uh, and so it's so awesome. So we want to say thank you uh, as a church for your continued prayers, your support. You've been sending teams to help us. You've been giving financially so many things that it may just seem small to you, but we would not be able to do what we do without the faithfulness of God's people behind it. So thank you. Lives are being changed in Bismarck today because of you. How awesome is that? And so thank you. And just a quick word. I hope you guys know how amazing the staff here at Longview Point is. I mean, your pastors and leaders here, some of the most godly people that I know. And I am so honored and humbled to be on this platform, to be able to share God's word with you today. And I just, I want to encourage you. Your staff is amazing. Thank them. Praise God for them. Not all churches have a staff like this. Uh, so I love it. Love you guys. Glad to be here this morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we'll be in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you are a Christian today, if you belong to Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him, I want you to hear me. You have a call from God on your life right now. Right this moment, every second, you have a call from God Almighty on your life. You don't have to float around wondering, who am I supposed to be? What am I, what's my life supposed to be like? Jesus has said, if you belong to him, that's already set. You have a call, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. This calling affects everything in your life. It's not just a part of your life. This calling affects your marriage. This calling affects your parenting, your relationships with your parents. This calling affects your school. It affects your workplace. It affects your hobbies. This calling affects your money and how you spend it, your time and your calendar, your priorities. This calling affects everything, every one of us has a call from God. And that's what we're gonna explore together this morning. Before we do though, I wanna share with you guys a little bit about our family's story over the past few years. Back in 2019, 
uh, January of 2019, if you guys can remember back that far, before COVID took over the universe. Uh, this was a time when life was a lot different. January of 2019, God rocked our family's world. See, we were in a good place. I had a good job. We made good money. We had just built our dream house. We had all the stuff that we could ever want. Our kids had a great school. They had great friends. We had the best neighbors, the best neighborhood. Like we had everything. We were comfortable and we were happy. But something began to happen in my heart and in my wife, Christy's heart. God began to, to cause us to wrestle with discontentment. It was a really challenging thing. I was like, am I just a spoiled brat that can't be happy? Like, why am I so discontent? And me and Christy began to talk and we both felt like this isn't where we're supposed to be. This isn't what we're supposed to be doing. And we didn't really know what God was up to. And I'd like to say that this was a really quick and um, easy process, but it's very messy. And God began our whole process with a question. This is one of the most terrifying questions I've ever had to wrestle with. Chris, Christy, will you give up everything to follow me? Would you leave it all behind to pursue me and what I want? I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to say yes. Like that's what, if I say no, people are like, ah, you might wanna check that qualification there, bud. But it was the hardest thing. We wanted to say yes, but when you start counting the cost, you start asking the questions, you start figuring out the process, you go, God, I don't know. I, I, I wanna say yes. And it took us months. We prayed together, we cried together, we wrestled with God. Lord, why? Why can't we do all of that here? Why do we have to, like, why do we have to think about this? And I remember my wife coming to me one night when, when we finally, we were done wrestling and it was time to say yes. She came to me and, uh, and we began talking and we realized this was not about a next step in ministry. This was not about church planting. This was not about what God was just calling us to do. This was a wrestling with who we really are as sons and daughters of God. And we realized in Christ, we're not called to just do stuff. We're called to be his in every single second, in every single moment, in every single sphere. And we had to come to the place where we had to surrender everything to Jesus. But can I just tell you, I'll, I'll speed up from here. Can I just tell you from that moment, when we quit the excuses, we quit the questions, we quit the pushback and we just said yes to the Lord, what God has done from that moment is unbelievable. All the things I thought I was giving up, all the sacrifices I thought I was made, they're not sacrifices. We have so much more today than I ever dreamed because Jesus is who we have. And he's given us his fullness and he is enough. And man, I promise you, that's what God has in store. We've seen prayers answered. We've seen God do miracles. We've seen God change people's life for eternity. We've seen God do again and again and again, the unbelievable, unexplainable. And it's not because of us, it's because we're living with him. And when you live with God, man, it is unlike anything else. So that's what we're gonna unpack this morning. You have a call from God on your life. So if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verse one, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. 
and then we'll dive into what God has for us this morning. So here's what Paul writes, chapter 12, verse one. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen, you guys can take a seat. So I know you guys are excellent Bible scholars and you're good at math. So you'll notice we're starting in Romans chapter 12, which means we're skipping 11 chapters of teaching this morning, or we can start in chapter one, sake of vote, I'm just kidding. We're starting in chapter 12. So I just wanna give you a quick background. 11 chapters, the apostle Paul, has been unpacking in more detail and depth and beauty than anywhere else in the Bible, what the gospel is. I mean, it's incredible. Go read chapters one through 11. Paul unpacks what is the gospel and how does it impact your life for real? And it's so amazing. So for 11 chapters, that's what Paul's been doing. And there's nowhere else in the Bible quite like Romans. This is what uh, one of my favorite authors, J.I. Packer said, all roads in the Bible lead to Romans and all views afforded by the Bible are seen most clearly from Romans. And when the message of Romans gets into a person's heart, there is no telling what may happen. And that's so true, so much powerful truth. So what's important about all that is we're in chapter 12. And when you get to chapter 12, verse one, there's this major transition happening in the book of Romans. So we get to verse one and Paul goes from talking about what the gospel is and what the gospel does to us to talking about what the gospel does through us. This is everybody's favorite part. It's the now what part of Romans. It's like, okay, we've heard a lot about that. Now, what do we do with it? And that's exactly what Paul lays out here. He says, here is your calling. Here's what it looks like to live this out. Here's who you're supposed to be now every day in real life, okay? So I wanna give you three aspects of this calling for your life this morning. Number one, we are called to God in a real relationship. We are called to God in relationship. Here in verse one, Paul began, I appeal to you brothers. Now, just for my sisters in the room, that word in Greek includes sisters. So really you could translate it, my brothers and sisters. So everybody is welcome here. So look at this though, don't pass by too quick. Why does Paul say brothers and sisters here? He's not writing to his biological family. Paul is writing to his brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's what that means. If you're brothers and sisters in Christ, then you are sons and daughters of God Almighty. Don't pass by that. The simple title, brothers and sisters, speaks volumes about what God has done. Paul is writing to men and women and children who've experienced the greatest miracle in the universe. They've been resurrected from death to life, to be alive now in Christ. Here's who we are this morning. We are the redeemed, adopted, forgiven, reconciled, loved children of God. 
Now, I love this next phrase. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. That phrase, mercies of God, is a Hebrew expression that he brought over into the Greek. And it doesn't just mean like a few mercies, like, hey, yeah, God's done some nice things for me. What this expression means is mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy. And just kind of, it's an ongoing expression. It's this idea of a mountain of mercy. So Paul says, that's what you've received if you belong to Jesus, it's a mountain of mercy. You've been lavished with the grace of God. And if that's true, here's the point. We cannot be who we used to be. We're not who we used to be. Therefore, real life can't be what it used to be either. This is about understanding who you are and then how to live that out. We were dead in sin, but now, we're alive in Christ. We were condemned, but now we're called righteous. We were enemies of God, but now we're his family. We were hopeless, but now we have an eternal, unshakable living hope. We were headed for an eternity in hell, and now we're called citizens of heaven. Our ignorance was replaced by intimacy. Our guilt has been replaced by grace. Our failure has been replaced with the faithfulness of Jesus. Our tragedy is now triumph through Christ. Our brokenness has been replaced by blessing. Our slavery to sin has been replaced by power and freedom from the Spirit of God. And our lostness and separation has been replaced by the overwhelming love of God. I could go on and on. And that's what Romans 1 through 11 is all about. If you belong to Jesus, you've been lavished with the grace and the mercy of God. Now here's our question. Why? Why has God saved you? Why has God adopted you as his son or his daughter? Why has he loved us and, and given his son to pay for our sins? Don't miss this this morning. Here's the reason that you could know him in a real eternal relationship. To belong to him forever. Can you just take that in for a moment? to think of what that means. The purpose of your salvation is not just the forgiveness of your sins. The purpose of your salvation is not just that you can go to heaven when you die. The purpose of your salvation is not just so that you can have victory over a struggle in your life. My question for you, if Jesus was taken out of your Christianity, would it make any difference? If Jesus wasn't in heaven, would you still wanna go there? See, the question that we're, we're asking here is because this is the purpose of our salvation. It's that we could enjoy the fullness of God in a completely healed, redeemed relationship with him. See, salvation isn't just life from Jesus. Salvation is life with Jesus. That's his greatest desire for you. 
It's that you would know him, that you would love him, that you would treasure him, that you would center everything you are around him, his beauty, his worth, his holiness, his perfection. When I got married, I was young, I was 21, Christy was 19. And um, do you know when I got married, what I was most excited about? It wasn't that I got to wear jewelry forever. I do wear a ring all the time on purpose, but I don't like jewelry, but that wasn't why. It wasn't so I could wave around a piece of paper saying I'm married. It wasn't so that we could file our taxes together. It wasn't so that Christy could have my last name. The reason marriage is marriage is because of Christy. She is what makes the difference. She gave herself to me. That's what I wanted. And my question for you this morning, is that true of your relationship with Jesus? Is that true of your Christianity today? Is he the point? Is he the greatest desire of your soul? Is he the greatest pursuit of your life? That's your number one calling. You have to understand that you're called to God in a relationship. Number two, we are called to holistic surrender. We are called to holistic surrender. Look again at verse one with me. Paul says, I appeal to you. Everybody say appeal. Okay, I've still got about half of you. That's good, I can work with that. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies. Everybody say bodies. There you go, we're getting there. I should just keep doing this. Pretty soon it's gonna get loud. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. That phrase spiritual worship could be better translated as reasonable worship or reasonable service. And so here's what Paul's saying. In light of all God's done, in light of the mountains and mountains of mercy that he's poured out on us, this is the only reasonable way to live. It's the only reasonable way to think. Paul says, if you think any other way, I don't know if you understand the gospel. I don't know if you really know what the mercy of God is unless this is how you're living. So he says here, I appeal to you. That, that could be translated, I beg you or I urge you. It's a very strong word that Paul uses there. And the point is he's saying, this is not an option. This is not something to think about. This is not something to kind of like, oh, you know, I'll give it some time and just see how I feel about that. This is a, a absolute must for you as a believer. This is who you're called to be, how you're called to live. And so here's the call. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, why does he say bodies? It's the Greek word soma. Why, why say bodies? Why not say surrender yourselves, offer yourselves? What's the importance of using the word body? What you think about, he's, he's making sure we understand your pursuit and following Jesus is not just an internal thing. It's not just a mental intellectual thing. It's not just something you agree with. I hope we all agree about the gospel, but Paul says it's, that's not what it's about. It's more than that. It's a holistic surrender. And so he says your body here because you can't say you're surrendered to Jesus and walking by faith in him and not live it out through your body to call it a holistic surrender. Think about it. Let's, let's get practical, practical for a second. God, my mouth is yours. The words that I speak belong 
to you. God, my eyes are yours. The things I look at, the things I allow into my mind, they belong to you. My hands are yours. As you hold your phone and you're scrolling through social media, every move of that finger belongs to Jesus. My feet belong to you. Where I'm going, how I'm living, it's all yours. Your real life belongs to Jesus. That's what Paul says we're called to. It's a holistic surrender. So this call is for my life to belong wholly to Jesus. Now I want you to think about this picture here in verse one. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is temple imagery that he's, he's taking the people back to in the Old Testament, especially in like Leviticus 16, the day of atonement. So as you think about this, they would have a spotless lamb, an animal with no imperfections at all, no blemishes. And they would, they would slaughter this animal and lay it dead on the altar. And that animal would take the sins of the people. It would atone for the sins of the people. But Paul is not calling you to atone for your sin. That's already been done because the lamb was slaughtered in your place and his name is Jesus. And he died as a substitutionary sacrifice that your sin got placed on him and his righteousness got placed on you. Paul says, you're not offering your life to make it up to God. You could never do that. You're offering your life to worship the God who gave his for you. That's the calling. If Jesus has given himself as a sacrifice, you are to live as a sacrifice of worship every single day to him in every area. And so our greatest pursuit in our lives is to please our Father. It's to please the God who has purchased us. Now this is extreme, it's radical. I don't doubt that there's someone right now who's going like, yeah, but <laughs> like, let's be real for a second. That's like impossible, that's, that's crazy. But here's the thing, there's no such thing in the Bible as casual Christianity. There's no such thing as people that do Bible studies and then live in sin and do whatever they want. There's nowhere where, where Paul's like, hey, whatever level of Christianity you're comfortable with, that's fine. There's only one life you're saved into and that's the life of Jesus. It's an all-consuming reality. And we need to think less about it like a little piece of our life and more like what it is, which is all of our lives. So that's what happens is too often when we think of discipleship, following Jesus, it's a compartment. It's a part of your life. Like I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a guitar player, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor. You know, we just fit it in there. It's just another thing we do. It's, oh, that's what I do on Sundays. And then I go back to real life. That's not at all what it means to follow Jesus. That's not what it means to belong to Jesus. Instead, Paul says, it's, think of it more like, a bike tire and you have this center, the center that every spoke is coming off of. And so the better question is how do I live in Christ as a husband? How do I live in Christ as a father? How do I live in Christ as a guitar player? How do I live in Christ as an employee? Fill in the blank with your situation. It's every part of your life is seen through the lens of who you are in Jesus. It's daily learning how to center everything around him, what he wants, his mission, his kingdom, because that's who we are now. 
So you don't raise your hand, but does this seem impossible to actually live like that? I would hope that most of you are saying like, yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> when, I, when I read this verse, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, that's a lot. Like, how on earth is that possible? And that's the point. It's not. You can't do this. And the good thing there's a point three or this would be a really weird sermon. <laughs> and that's where he moves next. And so as you talk about this, you're called to a relationship with God, to know him. You're called to surrender to him, but then God doesn't leave you there. God doesn't say, good luck. Hope you can figure it out. Here's what he says next. We are called to be transformed. In order to live as the church, we need God to empower us and to transform us. If you're gonna leave today, if you get inspired and you're gonna leave today and say, I'm gonna be better, I'm gonna do better. I give it, you know, a few days if you're good, you know, maybe a few weeks if you're incredible. But for most of us, it's like a few hours or a few minutes. On your own power, you're gonna fail every time. That's not the call here. The call is not go live in your own strength. The call is learn how to be transformed. So let's talk about that. This is a commitment to live in a surrendered relationship to Jesus, where we're committing to a process of transformation. Look with me at verse two. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I want you to notice both of those commands are passive. Take you back to English class. Passive means it's done to you. So this is not a command for you to do something. It's a command for something to be done to you, which we'll talk about in a second. But notice also there's no neutral. Paul gives us two options and he says there's no, there's no middle ground here. It's one or the other. So, so hear this, right now, this moment, every single person in this room is either being conformed to the world or you're being transformed by the renewal of your mind, period. Everybody. So if you want a verse that applies to you, this is it. One of those two things is happening in real time in your life. This word conformed is the Greek word syschematizo, and it means literally to press into a mold. If you think about Play-Doh, you take like a palm tree mold and you, you put your Play-Doh down in it and mash it in and pull it out, you have a perfect palm tree. It's amazing. You don't have to be an artist. You don't have to be good with Play-Doh. It just molds right to it. You take a, take a donut or a banana, it's like, boom, it just happens. And that's what that word means. And Paul is telling us every single moment, naturally, like when you're just going throughout life, living as a person, this is what's happening to you by the world. The world around us is molding us, conforming us. We're always being formed and shaped by the attitudes, the ideas, the values, and the systems of a world apart from God. So when you're scrolling social media, you're being formed. When you're watching Netflix, you're being formed and conformed. When you're watching the news, when you're going to work, when you're having conversations with your friends, it's happening all the time. In all these little moments we don't even think about, you're being conformed. And the world, I promise you, is not neutral with its agenda. So that's one option there. Paul says, if you coast, if you're just living life today, that's you. Because the only alternative is something dramatically different. So what is the alternative? The alternative is to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
And that word transformed is the word metamorpho. That's a lot like the word metamorphosis. That's where we get that word. Matthew 17, verse two, uh, we get this story about Jesus being transfigured. And Matthew uses that same word, metamorpho, and he says this, and Jesus was metamorpho, transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. This word means that what's on the inside comes out. It changes the form of what's on the outside. So hang with me for a second. When you become a Christian, two things happen. Number one, the word of God, the gospel is planted inside of you. You receive God's word. Then the Holy Spirit indwells you. And this is what happens. He takes God's word and he begins to do this work of transformation in your life. It's called sanctification. And he makes you more and more like Jesus in real life, in your thoughts, desires, words, and actions. But here's the catch. Paul didn't say transform yourself. Paul said, be transformed. How do you command a person to be transformed? How do you, like, what is that? How do you do that? So hear me, this is very important. I'm gonna try to be very clear. You position yourself to be renewed by the spirit of God through the word of God, rather than being conformed by the world. That's the key word. You position yourself to be renewed. You don't do the renewing. The spirit of God does, praise God. If it was up to us, we would not be real good at it. But God, that's his role. He said, I will transform you. I will make you what I want to make you. But we position ourselves to go through this process, to stay committed and surrendered to this process of change by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. You already do this positioning in your life. So this is not hard to wrap your mind around. You're already doing it in one way or another, whether it's conforming or transforming. It's what you fill your life up with. It's how you spend your time. It's how you make your decisions. It's the little moments you live every day. It's the moments you'll have today when you go to lunch, the conversations you have. It's the things you do when you wake up early in the morning. It's the things you do when you stay up late at night. It's the places you go. It's the values you let direct your life. We all position ourselves. The question for you this morning, when you look at your life, not over like one day, but think like the past month, What's your, what's your pattern of life like? Are you positioning yourself to be conformed to this world? Or are you positioning yourself to be transformed by the spirit of God through the word of God? Now I wanna try to make this very, very practical here. So we're gonna commit ourselves to live daily dependent on the spirit to allow him to change us by his power through his word. And the way that we actually do that in real time is what we call spiritual disciplines. And that can be a word, I don't know what your background is with that word, but I wanna just make a couple caveats. Spiritual disciplines are not things you do because you're supposed to. You may have felt that way, oh, I should really read my Bible more. You should, but that's not why you should do it. We, we can feel that way, like they have this negative connotation. Number one caveat, spiritual disciplines are a way for you to be with Jesus. Why do you read your Bible? Because you get to be with Jesus. You get to hear him speak. Why wouldn't you read your Bible? Why do I pray? Because you get to be with Jesus. Why wouldn't you pray? And you can name them all. That's the point of spiritual disciplines. It's to be with Jesus. And I hope you reframe everything you do for the Lord in that light. 
what freedom you find when it's not to earn favor from God, it's to enjoy what he's already given you in Christ. Why live any other way? So let me just go through a list quickly, uh, unless we can go to like three, then I'll do them all individually and we'll, we'll have some really good stuff. I'm not a one week preacher. I'm a series preacher. This is tough. But here, I'm just gonna run through quickly. Here's what it looks like to position yourself uh, practically for transformation. Commit to daily reading scripture. I don't care if it's a verse, if it's chapters, whatever, commit to daily reading the Bible. That is positioning. That is a decision you make, a priority you put in your life, not because you're gonna earn salvation, but because you're gonna hear from Jesus. If you wanna be transformed, stop making excuses about your time and start using your time for the one who gave it to you. So there's a start. Memorize scripture. I know we have phones. I know we have Google. I know I'm an antiquated 35 year old. Memorize the Bible. What if the word of God lived inside of you? and not just in your pocket? What if you could have it on your mind at any second of the day? What if you're speaking to that friend and man, you just have that verse ready to encourage, to share Christ, to see God use you? Man, that's the word of God living in you. That's being with Jesus and him abiding in you, as he called it. Meditating on scripture. Spend time just thinking about who God is and what he's done for you and who you are because of him. Prayer. Fasting, silence and solitude. When's the last time you got quiet and just sat with God? No noise, no agenda, just be still. That's positioning yourself to be transformed. Practicing the Sabbath, taking regular time to not work and to enjoy God and his world. Worshiping together, this is awesome. You guys made a decision to be here. Nobody's accidentally here this morning. That was a decision to say, I'm gonna position myself to be transformed. You may not have come here for that reason, but that's what it looks like. When you wake up and you're tired, it's been a long weekend, you say, why should I go to church? Because I'm gonna position myself to be transformed, not conformed. And you'll hear that again and again, there's always an excuse for you not to, but man, do you wanna be transformed or do you wanna be conformed? Serving others, giving of your resources, telling people about Jesus, all of these are examples of intentional decisions you make to position yourself. God, I wanna know you. I wanna, I wanna be used by you. I wanna sense your presence. I wanna hear you. I wanna see you. That's never going to happen if you just sit back and wait. God will do his part, but he's calling you to position yourself, to experience him, to grow in him. Now, just to be clear here, this is not in any way a call to save yourself. Hopefully that's already clear. No call here to works salvation. Dallas Willard said it best. Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Here's Paul's point in these two verses and really this whole chapter. If you really belong to Jesus, if that's really true, if that's really your reality, then you ought to live with him with every ounce of being you have. Is there anyone greater to give your heart to? Is there anyone greater to give your energy to? Is there anyone better to give your time and your money to? No, not if you really know him. He's your treasure, he's your everything. And that's Paul's point here. If you are in Christ, then you're called to live in Christ, to live with him. Now, one last thing, and then, I, then I'll wrap it up. Paul says one last thing here in verse two. He says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. So why do we need to be transformed specifically in the renewal of our mind? Because the way that you think determines the way that you live your life. The way that you believe and really think about your circumstances and the world around you determines how you live. And if you have a problem with your thinking, you will have a problem with your living. And that's why we commit so much time to God's word because in this, he doesn't just renew us in action, he renews us in our attitude. We start to think differently. We start to see things differently. What Paul's saying here is that as you go through this, I love it, um, that by testing you may discern that as you're committed to this process that's really messy to be honest, but you're committed to Jesus, I'm still in it. I'm still pursuing you. I'm still falling forward. We're still gonna commit to this, this transformation. Paul says something starts to happen inside of you. Some of it starts to stick. You start to actually think about things more and more like Jesus. You start to actually in those real moments of life take on the character of Christ. You start to see the fruit of the spirit showing up. You're like, wow, I was actually patient with that person I normally scream at. Wow, I was actually humble in that moment instead of thinking all about me. And you start to see the spirit of God displaying his work in your life. As you're being transformed, it comes out through your body. You start to see it in real life. Paul says, that's the goal that you'd be so saturated and transformed by Jesus that that would become normal. That you wouldn't be like, oh, I actually did the right thing. That you would be like, of course, I'm committed to living a holy life. That's who I am in Christ. It becomes your actual way of life to think, see, and live like Jesus. Man, that's huge. I was reading this article last week um, about a bank in Canada and they were talking about their process for training agents to spot counterfeit money. And this article was very interesting because of an interview. I'll tell you about in a second. Um, but basically when they train agents with, with their money, they don't give them counterfeit bills. They give them real bills. And they study every single detail, how it feels in your fingers, how the paper, the thickness of it, how it folds, how it, how it slaps and pops how it looks in the light, the colors, the markings, all these details, they know absolutely every detail and they can feel it. And once they're very, very, very comfortable with it, they'll test them out with counterfeit money. And they said, it's amazing their success rate of how people can discern almost immediately that this is not real. And this is the part that was so interesting to me is they, there's this one person who caught like this huge counterfeit uh, scandal and they ended up stopping it and they were interviewing the person. How did, you, how did you know that it was counterfeit? And I love the person's answer. I'm not real sure. They said, but as soon as I held it, I, I, I just knew. And I was like, that is such a good picture of what the spirit of God is doing in you. It becomes so natural that you don't even have to think about it. It's just how you live. It's just how you think. When someone cuts you off in traffic, it's just what came out versus what typically used to come out. And those are those like billion moments that happen again and again. And you want the spirit of God to transform you so deeply, to saturate you with Christ so strongly that your real life begins to reflect him more and more and more. That's what Paul says is our call to be transformed. So if you are a Christian this morning, I wanna circle back around. You have a calling, this is it. 
Don't settle for something less. Don't go through the motions, don't play church. Don't think that today you can check that off your list and go back to life as it was. God wants something better for you. Man, I hope and pray you want it for yourself. That you wanna love Jesus and you wanna give your life to him because I promise you, there's nothing better and you'll never regret a life wholly devoted to him. But if that's not you, I promise you'll regret every moment of it. You'll look back one day and say, what if I would have followed him? What if I would have given my life to him? So I wanna plead with you as we move into this response time, I wanna plead with you not to just move on. Don't miss this moment. We're gonna take several minutes to deal with what God's been saying to you per personally. And I'm not sure exactly who you are this morning. I'd like to pray for you here in a second. We'll walk through some, some specific steps you might be taking, but don't settle. And in Christ, we are called to the greatest privilege in the universe. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love, your passion to pursue stubborn, stupid people. But God, you love us and you change us and you call us to yourself. God, and we can look and see your fingerprint all over the place. We're not who we used to be. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mountains of mercy. God, thank you for the hope we have to live with you, to make a difference for you. God, I pray for my friends as we respond this morning, God, that you would lead them to take those bold steps to follow you wherever you're calling today. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.